The National Park Service has the responsibility for managing almost 500 of the most unique places in America, and it does it for about just $2 billion a year. But the Park Service also has a massive maintenance bait backlog, about $12 billion. Our next guest, Dr. Gil Lusk, says that's one piece of evidence that the system is stretched much too thin. Dr. Lusk is a longtime leader in the Park Service. He was superintendent of three different parks before his retirement. In a new book called Our National Parks, Our Living Treasure, he argues the Park Service can't continue doing more with less, and it's time for a fundamental restructuring. We've been in business for 103 years, uh, and uh, during that time, a lot of great things have happened. Uh, and uh, we now are entering into a, a new period of time in American history. We have a lot more people traveling. We have a lot of pressures now coming from the Congress and others in terms of how we do our business, and uh, some of those are mostly political. And really, we're at a time now where we really need to sit down with a, a national commission, in my view, and basically reevaluate, uh, rethink, uh, and uh, maintain our mission, as the mission statement says, unencumbered for tomorrow's grandchildren. What would this commission do, and, and why is an independent commission, in your view, the only, the only sort of body that can accomplish what you think needs to be accomplished? Well, first, uh, the the Congress has learned that uh, parks bring money into communities. And basically, I don't think they have any interest at all in looking at uh, changing the way things work because they can establish parks. Uh, they can basically uh, uh, maintain how we do do business. So that is a that's a difficulty. A national commission uh, made up of highly professional people uh, would be able to divorce themselves from congressional implications. From the executive branch, uh, secretaries of interior have become more intrusive into the business of maintaining parks. Not that they weren't important in the beginning. They were back in 1916, but now they have become not interested in necessarily uh, natural or historical preservation. They've become more interested in the politics of the world. Uh, the parks are not designed for that. If you look at uh, the organization behind, an organi behind something that maintains great treasures, look at the Louvre in France. Um, they, yes, there is a governmental uh, body, uh, but that body has no control over uh, the Louvre. It is maintained, it is managed by a large staff of highly rated professionals. So is the Smithsonian. So basically for us to carry what we're trying to carry into future generations, we have to be divorced from the politics. Uh, and again, uh, I don't say that lightly. Uh, politics were to our advantage for many years, but uh, they are no longer so. You suggested a moment ago that, you know, Congress likes to create new parks and incorporate new lands into the system without paying for them. I, I, I think it's actually even worse than that, right? Because under the Antiquities Act, the president can unilaterally declare a piece of federal land to be part of the national park system without, again, identifying any funding for it, without any act of Congress. Well, you know, if, if, uh, if they were doing that for the Park Service, that would be fine. But unfortunately... 
Uh, I'm not saying it would be fine. I'm saying that the process would work under the Antiquities Act. But what's happening now is that the presidents uh, in the last uh, two or three uh, des have designated national monuments, uh, which is, I believe, uh, our trademark, and basically given them to the Bureau of Land Management. Now, people think that um, the the large national monument in Utah is a National Park Service site. It's not. It's I actually BLM. did, yeah. And when it's BLM, their role is not to preserve. Their role is to make the highest and best use of excess federal lands. And so basically, they still they can graze, they can mine, they can timber, uh, they can do just about anything that will bring value. Now, maybe, I'm not knocking the BLM, they have a task and they do a good job at it, but they're not designed for national parks, and they're not designed for maintaining national monuments, but that's become the new thing. Any president can do it. Carter uh, was the last one that really did it big, and that was the Alaska Act, uh, where he created a huge number of, of parks and uh, monuments in Alaska. Uh, that was never very popular, but those deserved to be uh, national parks, national monuments. Uh, and it's not that Escalante doesn't deserve to be there, but if the design was to protect the lands, then it should have come to the Park Service. And pretty soon we'll have private citizens creating national parks. I mean, you know, it's these are just examples of how the concept is being fiddled with and and, and really very poorly done. And yes, when they create these uh, these little areas, uh, they don't uh, the new areas. Uh, they don't often bring the money necessary to properly set them up. Uh, that takes time, and in our age right now, uh, you know, it's <clears throat> it doesn't happen very often. One of the suggestions that you have is to you know at least until we can come up with a way to to rationally fund all these sites to the levels where they need to be to. to take care of the land and provide decent services is, is that some of them should go into what you call caretaker status. So how, how would that actually work and, and how would you select, you know, you're not going to do that with a Grand Canyon. So how would you select which which sites actually go into that, that status? Well, I, I believe that the National Commission needs to be created first and the first job of the National Commission would be to evaluate all of the sites and make that determination. Um, it needs to be uh, made by a group uh, that uh, has an understanding of the resources and so forth, uh, not by the Congress or someone else. But again, uh, that's that's why I put so much importance on the commission. The fact is that there are certainly sites that could be put into caretaker status. The caretaker doesn't mean that it's just gated and closed. Uh, it can mean a number of things. Uh, for instance, a caretaker status might mean that the park, instead of being open 24 hours a day, uh, is open for a limited time every every day. Uh, but the amount of money needed to maintain, the, the amount of money to uh, operate in that capacity is less, and it can be reallocated. Now, can we reallocate enough money and have enough caretaker status uh, to do much good? Not really. Uh, I don't think so, at least, because, again, we wouldn't be looking at the major parks. We wouldn't be looking at the major historical sites or archaeological sites. But, again, there would be at least 
perhaps incentive for the Congress, which likes parks, uh, to start funding this properly while the commission gets underway. Uh, that has been, you know, it's, uh, again, hey, if, if you really want to continue on, then provide the funding for the parks. If not, then we're going to put them in caretaker and uh, reallocate funds. What what role do you think user fees should play in this overall budget equation? Certainly the Park Service at some sites, probably most of the large ones, already collects things like vehicle fees. But but you can take that to a point where these no longer resemble public resources if, if, they're, if the cost of entry is, is too high. There, the, there will always be public resources, uh, but again, uh, there are a lot of fees collected at gates. Uh, theoretically, 80% of those fees go to the parks and 20% uh, drift off. But again, the question is, what are the fee levels? And uh, is it just the entrance fees? Are there other fees? Uh, for instance, we have concession operations. We have... Uh, licenses and permits that we give to uh, travel and tourism companies. Uh, those are all things that could be handled at uh, park level and uh, with fees returning or remaining in the park. You know, when you go overseas and you go into uh, national parks, uh, which uh, are, you know, off of the model of our own, uh, if, you're, if you generally uh, are a... Uh, are not a native citizen, uh, you pay more as a tourist than you do if you are uh, one of those who um, pays the taxes, so to speak. So there's a there, you could actually have a two-tier system, which uh, would provide for some additional money from travelers coming in from other nations. Uh, would that be a negative? Well, uh, think about the ne next 20 years we're going to have to have parks with carrying capacities because we can't, I mean, how many people can we put through a park? How many people can walk across Mesa Verde every day and not do damage? Uh, how many people can line up at Old Faithful? Uh, carrying capacities may become a fact of management in 20 years or so, and, and we're really not thinking or preparing for that. Uh, and the carrying capacities, again, um, things can change within that in terms of fee structures and so forth. Uh, so there's a, you know, it's a, there are multiple things that can come from a, a group of professionals sitting down and thinking about things and coming up with some ideas. My goal isn't that the book is going to change anything. My hope is that the book will stimulate, uh, will work to allow the public to better understand that national parks aren't just pretty pictures, that there are things going on in the parks that need to be looked at. My goal is that the Congress isn't going to do it. The Secretary of Interior is not going to do it. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to make the public aware enough so that there are pressures and that there is some form of organization created, uh, not just for a specific purpose, but for the creation of a commission. It's the only way it's going to happen. You know, back in the 90s, I tried very hard to work on this concept with some conservation groups that I worked with at Glacier. And basically, you know, they said, well, you know, that's not bad. Uh, we'll, we'll go talk to the secretary. We'll go talk to the director and see what they think. And I just turned around and said, well, forget it. 
uh, you're not going to get any support for this from those people because they think they're doing a fine job and uh, that that's the only way it can work. Um, they're in control. They don't want to lose that control. It used to be that parks were considered uh, kind of onerous in communities because we don't pay taxes and uh, we don't allow hunting or timbering or anything that uh, is the big jobs that like uh, the, the National Forest, the U.S. Forest Service can do. So basically, here we go. Uh, we are, you know, not looked at favorably. And uh, then all of a sudden, back in the 90s, we start talking about the economic value of parks. Uh, and now uh, the Congress is well aware that uh, to create a park in their district is a real winner. Uh, it's going to create value. People are going to come see it. Uh, and so now we have uh, pressure to, we should be only looking at resources that are of severe or great importance to the United States culture, to its history, uh, to its ecosystems. Uh, and uh, since now we know that they bring money, uh, I think that a lot of resources are being looked at that are simply regional or local, uh, but uh, they're not uh, done the way they, the uh, district uh, or the congressman wishes they were, and so uh, they are able to move through and create a national site of some kind. That doesn't help us. It doesn't help our image. It doesn't help the fact of what we're trying to do for the country. Dr. Gil Lusk is the author of the new book, Our National Parks, Our Living Treasure, A Time for Concern. Dr. Lusk, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.